That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Anya? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. And if you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball, kind of whenever. I am your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, it's been a busy couple of weeks for us. We took a brief hiatus from history because of school, uh, but that is over and we are getting back into it. Yeah, finals week approached. Uh, and, you know, we're very dedicated to the uh, to the history podcast. Um, so it would be kind of unfair to uh, the audience if we, you know, compromised our efforts uh, towards the history show. So we, we skipped the last week. We have a great episode for you today um on part one we got lou gehrig who you know has one of the most unique stories in baseball um you know one half of the greatest duo in baseball history uh, a ton of other different things part two we got the 2018 milwaukee brewers uh, our newest team yet and yeah lou gehrig it's 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 very important to talk about him because uh, personally, one of the reasons I put him on the list of players is, you know, he's very well known. And, you know, the idea of the list was not necessarily to put guys that are known. You know, I have a couple of guys that are legends like, you know, Willie Mays, but and, you know, Lou Gehrig's very well known. But um, I think his legend isn't necessarily be- because of, you know, how well he he was how good he was as a player like you know people think of how he died people think about um how he was you know a part of murderer's row and you know he was he was number four and uh humble had the uh game streak which was a big deal uh nicknamed the iron horse which i i messed up when we uh when we announced it i called him the iron man that's cal ripken jr uh he's the iron Lou Gehrig is the iron horse but yeah it's important to talk about him because he was actually un unbelievable as a player and it, I don't think it gets recognized enough you know uh, he has the third highest OPS of all time I don't think that gets talked about enough it's just uh, he that all kind of gets swept under the radar behind you know the game streak and uh, you know the way he passed away so we're going to start with how Lou Gehrig uh, grew up. So Lou Gehrig was born in New York City, where he would end up playing all of his career. And he was born as Henry Louis Gehrig. And it was rumored that he was born at 14 pounds. He was a a big baby. And uh, his mother gave birth birth to four children, but unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately for Lou, but unfortunately for the family, he was the only one to survive past the age of three. And when the family was five, the, uh, they moved into a different apartment, which was within shouting distance of the stadium of the New York Highlanders, uh, which was the previous name of the now recognized New York Yankees. They were also close to the polo grounds where the New York Giants played. And this is where Gehrig grew an appreciation for baseball. I mean, he was right by him. He started going to Giants games when he would sit in the left field bleachers for 25 cent tickets. And uh, he would also play in pickup games. And his mother was not thrilled uh, with Gary being this invested in baseball because she wanted him to be more dedicated with school, which, you know, 
it's that's understandable. I mean, re, you know, baseball isn't always a realistic dream, but it sure was for Lou Gehrig. And despite his mother's desires, he toned down, well, because of his mother's desires, he toned down on the baseball activity, but still found time to play on the weekends and in the summers. And eventually he enrolled at Commerce High School in Manhattan, where he showcased his talent in baseball and football. And eventually in the summer of 1920, just 100 years ago, Gehrig played in a matchup in between the New York City high school champions and the Chicago high school champions at Cubs Park, which was later named Wrigley Field. And he made his mark by hitting a grand slam over the right field wall at Wrigley. And after graduating high school, he enrolled at Columbia University on, on a football scholarship as college baseball had yet to be kind of organized. So now we enter Lou Gehrig's sort of rocky road uh, to getting, a, getting an MLB contract. Uh, obviously, he specialized in football and baseball. And before he e even attended uh, the college, uh, a New York Giants scout, uh, New York Giants baseball team scout, Arthur Irwin, uh, who knew about his performance in Chicago, uh, approached Gehrig about a tryout with the New York Giants and also told Gehrig that Giants manager, John McGraw, uh, had seen him play and would like to sign him to a contract. Um, unfortunately, this was sort of fabricated. John McGraw, the, the manager, had not yet to see him had not yet to see him play and uh garrick uh at one point hit six consecutive home runs in batting practice and that really caught everyone's attention um but he struggled defensively and john mcgraw ended up not wanting not wanting him on the team uh and the scout uh arthur Irwin, was still optimistic for lou garrick he told garrick that he could uh, get him a contract on a Class A minor league team for the rest of the 1921 season. And Gehrig played 12 games in this league for the season under the names Lefty Gehrig and Lou Lewis. Um, and, you know, this this will be re the reasons why he went out under a different name will be revealed uh, a little later. And it is not clear if Lou Gehrig knew that playing professional baseball uh, and then college baseball after that was against NCAA rules. Uh, so when it was found that Lou Lewis of the Hartford Senators uh, was in fact actually Lou Gehrig of Columbia University, there was potential that he would be ineligible to play college baseball. And the head coach of Columbia contacted the coaches of their rivals to uh, request to dismiss the breaking of this rule for Gehrig because or for, for what he, for what was called an honest mistake. He was saying that it was an honest mistake and he wanted the rivals of Columbia to sort of forgive that and give him permission to play um, in college. And the coaches agreed to not keep, keep him out of college baseball forever, which would be sort of the standard. Uh, however, they did suspend him from playing for one year of college baseball. So Gehrig did not play his freshman year and eventually in his sophomore year was able to strap it up for Columbia. And that's where he set school records in average with a 444 average uh, slugging with a 937 slugging and home runs with seven. Uh, and also not only did he kill it with the bat, he was very good on the mound. Uh, he was a pitcher. He also pitched in 11 of the team's 19 games 
And in one of the games, he struck out 17 batters, which remains a Columbia University single game record, which is pretty, it's pretty funny to me to imagine someone tying that record currently and, you know, them being told that they're on the same list as Lou Gehrig. Yeah. They got, they tied with Lou Gehrig, who is a, a famous first baseman. That's pretty funny, pretty, uh, a pretty funny idea to me. Um, so with this performance, with him setting school records, uh, left and right, uh, Yankees scout, Paul Crichel or Crichel, uh, took a train from New Brunswick, New Jersey, uh, in order to watch a game between Columbia and Rutgers. And the head coach of Columbia talked to the scout about Gehrig and actually advertised him more of a pitcher who could also hit. Um, and after Gehrig hit two home runs in the game that uh, the scout was going to, that scout called Yankees general manager, Ed Barrow, uh, saying that he had just disco- discovered another Babe Ruth. Uh, that's what he said. And also, you may remember Ed Barrow. Uh, I did recognize the name. You may remember Ed Barrow from getting uh, Hannes Wagner into the Atlantic League in 1896 and recommending him to the Louisville Colonels in 1897. So 25, 25 years later in history, we're still talking about Ed Barrow. So uh, a very important executive in baseball history, Mr. Ed Barrow, helping out both Hannes Wagner and uh, and then eventually talking to Lou Gehrig. And so beside the point, in Gehrig's next game after that, after he impressed the scout, uh, he went two for three with a home run and also pitched a complete game victory. And after the game, the scout approached Gehrig and set up a meeting between uh, Gehrig and the Yankees gen- general manager for the next morning. And when the Yankees general manager offered Gehrig a $1,500 bonus and a $400 a month salary, Gehrig accepted it and he was officially a New York Yankee. So Lou Gehrig has made his way onto a professional baseball team and he actually got uh, some role play in pretty soon. In 1923, he started on the Yankees roster, but didn't play a huge role. He was mostly just uh, taking some pinch hitting appearances. And after he went one for five with two strikeouts, Yankees manager Miller Hudgens asked him to play the rest of the season with the Hartford Senators. And oh, by the way, you may remember Millard Hudgens last, from last week uh, as he left Rogers Hornsby's Cardinals after a successful 1917 to manage the Yankees. So he flip-flopped uh, from Rogers Hornsby's Cardinals to eventually Lou Gehrig's Yankees. And in 19, in 59 games with the Senators that season, Gehrig hit 304 with a 749 slugging percentage and 20 home runs. It's really good. When the Senators' season ended, the Yankees called Gehrig back up. And in his first two pinch hit appearances, he went one for two with two RBI. And for the next four games, he hit 474 with a 1419 OPS. So he was hitting the ground running. And then later in the next season, in 1924, he attended Yankee spring training, but there was no spot on him uh, on the field. And he played for the Hartford Senators again, where he had 369 with a 720 slugging percentage with 37 home runs in 134 games. And when he got called up to the Yankees, he went six for 12 with a walk and a double. 
So the next thing is a, a little tidbit from Society of American Baseball Research, Research from 1924, when they said the most memorable event from the brief stint came uh, in a game against the Detroit Tigers. Gary hit a two-run single to right field, but turned too far while rounding first and got caught off base. This led to an, an extended rundown in which Ty Cobb sprinted in from center field while Gehrig was caught in a pickle and tagged out the young slugger. Cobb swore at Gehrig as he tagged him, which is the most Ty Cobb thing ever. And Gehrig was, for the most part, uh, a dignified player who rarely raised any kind of ruckus in the field. But now Cobb made him furious, and he cursed at Cobb while walking off the field, continuing to scream uh, at the Georgia Peach from the steps of the Yankee dugout. The umpire warned Gehrig to pipe down, uh, but he kept at Cobb. He kept going. And after another warning uh, that went unheeded, the ump ejected Gehrig from the game, which only fanned the flames of his anger. When the game ended, still steaming from the altercation, Gehrig went after Cobb in the tunnel between the dugout and clubhouse. And despite teammate Babe Ruth's best efforts to contain him, Gehrig got loose and hurled a punch at the meanest man in baseball history. Unfortunately for Gehrig, he fanned on the haymaker stumbled forward, landed on his head on the concrete floor, and was temporarily knocked out. When he awoke, the only thing he, he only said one thing, did I win? No, he had not. But then again, uh, few men ever got the best of Ty Cobb. So uh, a crazy story there involving Ty Cobb. But uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty crazy. wild. It reminds me of the uh, 1990 Reds uh, going in the... Literally, he was the original nasty boy. Yeah, I just went in the tunnel. And who knew it would have been Lou Gehrig, uh, you know, the mild-mannered... And this is not like Lou Gehrig in his prime. Like, this is up-and-coming Lou Gehrig. Yeah. And Babe yeah, Ruth facing... had to hold him back. <laughs> yeah, facing a, a dead ball era legend uh, mm-hmm. in, in Ty Cobb. And now we get to 1925 which is where things start getting kicking for Lou Gehrig. Although uh, Gehrig was put on the major league roster for the year, but he was on the bench as Wally Pipp was the first baseman for the Yankees. And uh, Gehrig played in 12 games and started five through uh, June 1st. And on June 2nd, he was given another start and he went three for five with a double in that game on June 2nd. Then he continued to get starts for many consecutive games. And the original story of him getting that start uh, was that Wally Pip was suffering from a headache and asked if anyone had aspirin. And when the manager had overheard him, uh, he decided to give Pip the day off. And this is from the New York Times. Wally Pip gave a different story uh, in a, in a, uh, little article from the New York Times in 1953. Uh, Here is the quote. Here's what actually happened. I was taking batting practice that day, and the guy who was pitching that day was a big, strong kid from Princeton, Charlie Caldwell. Charlie whistled one in, and somehow somehow or other, I just couldn't duck. The ball hit me right there on the temple. Down I went, and I was much too far gone to bother reaching for any aspirin bottles. I was in the hospital for t- two solid weeks. By the time I returned to the Yankees, Gehrig was hitting the ball like crazy, and Huggins would Huggins would have been a complete dope to give me my job back. He wasn't a dope, so he didn't do it. Not only 
was Garrick a better ball player than I was? But he was 22 and I was 32. It was as simple as that. But please don't believe the Aspen story. It just isn't true. Uh, the story of him being in the hospital is unclear, at least to me, as his game logs on Baseball Reference showed that he appeared in games on June 3rd, June 4th, June 10th, and June 18th. Um, so I don't think he was in the hospital the entire time. But hey, you know, different differing stories. But I bet parts of all that are different parts of all he, that. He got are, hit in the head, you know, you don't know. Yeah, or yeah, part, yeah, part of it is different parts make up the whole story. And it also didn't help that uh, Wally Pip was hitting 244 with a 667 OPS up to that point, 244 with a 667 OPS. Uh, and from June 2nd to July 1st, basically a month's time frame, Garrick hit 362 with a 1099 OPS in 108 plate appearances. And from June 2nd on, uh, Garrick played in every single game for the rest of the season. And Garrick ended up hitting 295 with an 896 OPS, 127 OPS plus, and 122 weighted runs created plus, all in 497 plate appearances. And Garrick would finish 24th in the MVP vote. I got to love that Wally Pip story because, like, it would have been more dignified for him to just be like, yeah, it was the aspirin story. Like, he, he told it in full detail. And he seemed pretty humble. He was like, yeah, like, of course he was going to play Lou Gehrig over me. Like, that would have been a stupid move. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I respect the hell out of that. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good quality self-reflection. For sure. So now we move on to 1926. Lou Gehrig is a full-time Yankee. And on August 13th, he became the first man to hit two over-the-fence home runs off of Walter Johnson in the same game. Walter Johnson is well, possibly the greatest pitcher of all time. So that is very impressive. And in that season, he hit 313 with a 969 OPS, 153 OPS plus, and 151 weighted runs created plus. He hit 361 with runners in scoring position. And he finished fourth in OPS, fifth in OPS plus, and fourth in weighted runs created plus. He led the league in triples with 20. He finished third in baseball reference war and second in Fangraphs war behind only Babe Ruth, which probably a name you're going to be hearing a lot when he was behind someone yeah. in the lineup, in stats, wherever. He finished 10th in the MVP vote. But this is the only season in baseball history with 15-plus home runs, 20-plus triples, 45-plus doubles, and 100-plus walks. That is Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig's 1926, the only one. The Yankees went 91 and 63 and won the pennants, and they were facing the team led by manager and second baseman Rogers Hornsby. So in game one, they were down one to nothing in the first inning with the bases loaded and one out. Lou Gehrig hit into an RBI ground out, uh, presumably beating out a double play. So helped his team get a run there. With the game tied one to one in the sixth and a man on second with one out, Gehrig hit an RBI single. And the Yankees won the game 2-1, to one, giving Gehrig all the RBIs in the team's win. So he's doing it all with the bat for the Yankees. And then he went 2-for-7 combined in the next two games, which his team lost both by four runs. And then he went 4-for-6 with three walks and an RBI in games 4-5, and five, where his team won both games. So now they're one win away from a World Series victory. However, Lou Gehrig goes 1-for-6 with two walks and an RBI in games 6 and 7. The team lost both games. Lou Gehrig was denied an opportunity to become a World Series champion. 
but he ended up hitting 348 with an 899 OPS throughout the series, but went one for eight with the runners in scoring position. Yeah, and one uh, side thing I will say is it's kind of funny how it lined up. Uh, Jimmy Fox uh, played Rogers Hornsby's team uh, in the World Series in 1929, and now Rogers Hornsby's team is facing Lou Gehrig's team uh, in 1926. So we have yeah. some World Series overlap, three uh, from you know three different players in a row. But yeah, in a row, found that kind of funny um, how it how it lined up. But yeah, the past three episodes have been highlighting kind of the same era, same you know types of players too, very offensive oriented. But anyway, now we're getting into uh, probably Lou Gehrig's prime, even though he was not the best player in baseball. In fact, uh, Lou Gehrig was the second best player in baseball during this time frame, and he was also the second best player on his team. Uh, this was from. 1927 to 1932 where uh he you know was putting up amazing amazing numbers but he was not really leading the league still in in a lot of different categories you know the most important ones being uh now wins above replacement ops things like that so it starts with 1927 you know everyone knows about the 1927 yankees and garrick sort of made an adjustment so uh, a qu another quote from Society of American Baseball Research uh, says, despite Gehrig's impressive sophomore season, manager Miller Huggins criticized him in the offseason for not trying to pull the ball more. He wanted the big first baseman to take advantage of the short right field fences in many American League parks, including the one that was just 295 feet away from home plate in Yankee Stadium. Uh, Huggins told Gehrig that he could pull any pitcher and indeed any pitch if he set his mind to it and 1927 is known for Babe Ruth hitting 60 home runs, which is a sing which was a single season record that stood for 34 years. But Gehrig was actually tied with Ruth in home runs as late as Labor Day uh, when they both had 44 home runs each. Uh, Gehrig ended up on the season finishing third in average with a 373 second in OPS with a 1240. OPS second in OPS plus with a 220 OPS plus and second in weighted runs created plus with a 209 weighted runs created plus. Uh, he finished second in B war and second in F war and every category previously mentioned where he finished second was to his teammate Babe Ruth. Uh, but also Lou Gehrig uh, led the league in offensive war and offensive runs above average uh, as he did accumulate 26 more plate appearances than Babe Ruth uh, as he played every game. And Gehrig that season in 1927 uh, led the league in doubles with 52, also led the league in total bases, times on base, and RBI uh, with 173 RBI. Also, what you know, how he was able to get those 173 RBI, he was very efficient with runners in scoring position. He hit 402 with runners in scoring position in 247 plate appearances with runners in scoring position. Uh, the Yankees, the 1927 Yankees, 127 OPS plus uh, remains the highest single season team OPS plus in the modern era. Uh, and their and after that, their lineup earned the nickname Murderer's Row. Uh, also, Lou Gehrig's 123 
123 times on base with runners in scoring position are tied for the second most in a single season uh, behind Barry Bonds in 2004, uh, where, of course, Barry Bonds had a 754 on base percentage with runners in scoring position. Uh, that's besides the point. But Lou Gehrig, his 11.8 B war in 1927 is the best produced in a single season by a man not named Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, or Rogers Hornsby. And it is also the best B war to not lead the league in its particular season. Uh, also, his 12.5 F war in 1927 is the best produced in a single season by a man not named Babe Ruth or Barry Bonds. Uh, you know, one, one of only, besides two men, uh, best single season F war. And it is the best F war to not lead the league in its particular season. Also, his F war would have led the American League in all but five seasons in baseball history and would have led all of Major League Baseball in all but six seasons. And his B-War would have led the AL in all but three seasons in baseball history and led all of Major League Baseball in all but six seasons in baseball history, which is uh, about 150 years. And also in 1927, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig had the only season by teammates in baseball history with qualifying seasons with an OPS plus of two, 220 or better in a single season. It is also the only season by teammates in baseball history with a qual with qualifying seasons with a 1200 plus OPS in a single season. They're the only, only teammates to have a 1200 plus OPS in a single qualified season. They also had the only season by teammates in baseball history with 165 plus RBI each. Uh, they also had the only season by teammates in baseball history with 10 plus B war. And Gehrig by himself had the only season in the modern era with 215 plus hits and 105 plus walks. It is also the only season in baseball history with a 1200 plus OPS and 170 plus RBI. It is also the only season in baseball history with a 360 plus average, 45 plus home runs, and 170 plus RBI. How about that? It is also the only season in baseball history with 45 plus home runs, 45 plus doubles, and 10 plus triples. How about that? And it is also the most RBI in a single season by a player in their age 25 season or younger. And it is the highest B-War and F-War in a single season by a player in their age 24 season or younger. How about that? And because the AL MVP at this time could only be won once by a single player, uh, and Babe Ruth had already won the award in, 19, in 1923, uh, Babe Ruth was ineligible. And so uh, they gave it to the second best guy in the league that year, and that guy was Lou Gehrig and Lou Gehrig won that MVP award in 1927. And the Yankees went 110 and 44 and won the pennant by a 19 game margin. Uh, and now we get into the World Series. Uh, in game one against the Pirates, 
with the game scoreless in the first inning and a man on first, uh, Lou Gehrig hit an RBI triple to give the Yankees the lead. He also hit a sacrifice sacrifice fly later in the game, um, although a sacrifice fly was not a stat yet, so it would be considered an RBI flyout and also be counted as a as an at bat. And Lou Gehrig ended up going one for two with two RBI on the day in a five to four victory um, over the Pirates. And in game two, he went one for three of the walk in a six to two win. In game three. With the game scoreless in the first inning and with men on first and second, Gehrig hit a two-run triple, and he ended up going two for three with two RBI and an additional double on the day in an eight-to-one victory. And despite going 0 for 5 in game four, the Yankees won game four after walking off on a wild pitch, making Lou Gehrig a World Series champion. Uh, Gehrig hit 308 with a 1207 OPS and four RBI throughout the 1927 World Series. So somehow, somehow, Lou Gehrig and the Yankees have to follow up that season. Don't know how it's going to be done, but before the season, Babe Ruth encouraged Lou Gehrig to be stiff in contract negotiations, telling him to not take a quote, penny less than $30,000. And unfortunately, he didn't take his advice. He ended up getting a $25,000 contract a year for three years. However, his average improved by one point, his OBP decreased by seven points, but his slugging percentage dropped 117 points after hitting 20 less home runs, five less doubles, and five less triples. So certainly not a great season for Lou Gehrig by the standards of the previous season, but oh, by the way, he still finished third in average with a 374, second in OPS with an 1115, second in OPS plus with a 193, second in weighted runs created plus with a 192, all behind Babe Ruth, and he finished second in B-War and F-War to, you guessed it, Babe Ruth. He led the league in doubles with 47, led the league in RBI with 147, and OBP with a 467. He hit 400, he had 405 with runners in scoring position, and he was no longer eligible for the MVP vote because of the previous season, and the Yankees won 101-53 and won the pennant. So now we get into Lou Gehrig's, uh, post you know the the prime of his postseason uh legacy here uh just an unbelievable performance uh I, I don't know how the how the pitchers were were handling him at all so Gehrig in game one uh with the game scoreless in the first inning and a man on second with two outs uh Gehrig hit an RBI double uh later in the game he hit an RBI single to make it four to one Yankees and he ended up going two for four with two RBI in the day in a four to one win. So a very good day to start the 1928 world series. Then in game two with the game scoreless in the first inning with, and two men on with one out, Gehrig hit his first career world series home run to make it three to nothing. And he ended up going one for three with a walk on the day in a nine to three win, of course, with that home run and three RBI. And in game three uh, with the Yankees down two to nothing in the second inning, Gehrig cut the deficit in half with a solo home run. Two innings later, the score was still 2-1, to one, with Gehrig coming up with a man on first base. And of course, he hits another home run, giving them the 3-2 to two lead. So also, so far that day, Gehrig had all the RBI, all from home runs, giving them the 3-2 lead. 
and then Garrick walked in his next two plate appearances on the day, and the Yankees won seven to three, uh, going up three to nothing on the Cardinals. And in game four of the World Series, Lou Gehrig was walked in his first three plate appearances, and the Cardinals were leading two to one heading into the seventh inning. Uh, Mark Koenig led off the seventh inning by popping out, popping out to short. Then Babe Ruth hit a game-tying solo home run, and Lou Gehrig followed that up with a go-ahead solo home run. Uh, Gehrig ended up grounding out to the pitcher in his next at-bat, and the Yankees won game four, seven to three, giving Lou Gehrig his second World Series championship. Throughout the series, Gehrig was unbelievable. He went six for 11 with six walks, four home runs, nine RBI, and a 545-706-1727-2433 quadruple slash line and 0.99 win probability added, which if you're if you don't know is unbelievable for a four-game series. Uh, his win probability added for the series is the sixth highest in a single World Series, and his slugging and OPS from this World Series are single season World Series records. It was an unbelievable uh postseason performance by uh the iron horse that's flashlight is goddamn ridiculous yeah wow so we're finishing off the 20s here with 1929 and the yankees become the first team this year to consistently implement uniform numbers and numbered them with the starting position in the the players based on their number in the batting order so wherever you hit the lineup that was your number and Lou Gehrig was number four because he was the cleanup hitter. So Gehrig hit 300 with a 431 OBP, 1015 OPS, 166 OPS plus, and 161 weighted runs created plus in 1929. He finished second in OBP, fourth in OPS, third in OPS plus, and third in weighted runs created plus as well. He finished fifth in baseball reference war, fourth in F war, and the Yankees, they finished second in the pennant race. So no, uh, no World Series for them. And unfortunately, near the end of the season, the manager, Miller Huggins, passed away from a rare skin infection. So rest in peace. Yes. Uh, so it was a transitional phase for the New York Yankees. A guy who had been their manager for uh, 12 years um, passed away. So a transitional phase. And, you know, they had the Philadelphia Athletics, Jimmy Fox's Philadelphia Athletics, um, winning the pennant in 1929. Um, kind of messing with their 1927-1928 sort of groove that they had. So now in 1930, Lou Gehrig has another spectacular season, um, getting probably as close as he could to his 1927 self. Uh, also, 1930 was the year of offense. Uh, highest highest uh, single-season OPS in the modern era uh, by, by the league. Uh, Lou Gehrig in that season finished second in average with a 379 average. He also finished second in OPS with an 1194, second in OPS plus with a 203, and second in weighted runs created plus with a 198, all behind uh, the Babe. And he finished second in B War and second in F War behind Babe Ruth. Uh, Ruth and Gehrig each had an OPS plus of 200 or better for the second time. 
no other pair of teammates have had if no other teammates have had one such season in the modern era. So Ruth and Garrick both a hundred percent above average. Uh, no other, no other teammate, no other teammate duo uh, has ever done that. Uh, Lou Gehrig also led the league in RBI with 173, and he also led the league in total bases and times on base. And the 1930 Yankees uh, and their 6.9 runs scored per game remain the most by a team in a single season in the modern era. And also their 872 team OPS remains the highest by a team in a single season in the modern era. Uh, also, Lou Gehrig was exclusive in many ways in this uh, in this 1930 season for himself, even though it was not his best season. It was still unbelievable. Still things that we have never seen before, or never seen since, never seen before. Lou Gehrig in 1930 had the only season in the modern era with 220 plus hits and 100 plus walks. Also, he had the only season in baseball history with 120 plus singles, 40 plus doubles, 15 plus triples, and 40 plus home runs. So he was getting hits in a variety of different ways. He was spraying the ball. Spraying the ball, absolutely. Great pure hitting. Also, Lou Gehrig had the in 1930 had the only season in baseball history with 220 plus hits and 171 plus rbi Uh, but unfortunately for the yankees uh, they finished third in the pennant race and after that the yankees fired their new manager and hired joe mccarthy uh, not the guy who was calling out uh, for the red scare and saying that there were communists all over congress in the 50s he could have been doing that though he very possibly could have but uh, this, well, the Joe McCarthy we're going to be talking about uh, managed the New York Yankees, and he uh, also managed the 1929 NL pennant winning Cubs. Uh, he was also known to be a strict disciplinarian who required good condition of his players, and Lou Gehrig really liked that. It was to the delight of uh, Mr. Lou Gehrig, because you know Lou Gehrig always kept good con- con- good condition himself, and really wanted uh his teammates to kind of share that passion for it uh so he felt that the team would be kind of improving uh out of this so now we move to 1931 and according to baseball almanac lou Gehrig played his 1000th consecutive game on august 18th of this year so pretty big accomplishment for him throughout the season he hit he finished fifth in average with a 341 second in ops with an 1108 second in ops plus with a 194 and second in weighted runs created plus to babe ruth uh, also with a 184 finished second in baseball reference war and second in f war we already know who it was too he led the league in total bases times on base runs scored with 163 rbi with 185 and hits with 211 as well as home runs with 46 this was his third season of 170 plus RBIs and no one in baseball history has ever done that more than once in their entire careers. His 163 runs scored remain the third highest in a single season in the modern era. That is since 1900. That's the last 120 years of baseball. His 185 RBI remained the second most in a single season in baseball history. Uh, the 1931 Yankees, they had a 1,067 runs scored, which remains the most by a team in a single season in the modern era. 
and Ruth and Gehrig uh, combined or to each have 160 RBI for the second time. No other pair of teammates has ever done that in a season. 1931 was the year when the MVP uh, voting in the MLB was brought back to the modern form, so Gehrig was now eligible for an MVP vote. He finished second behind Lefty Grove, who won 31 games that year. Understandable. Gehrig's 53 games with two-plus RBI in 1931 remained tied for the most in a single season in baseball history. It is also the only season in baseball history with 110-plus walks and 180-plus RBI. It was the only season of baseball history with 160 plus runs scored and 170 plus RBIs. Once again, the only season in baseball history with 180 RBI and an OPS plus of 180 or better. Despite all this offense, the Yankees, they didn't win the pennant. They went 94 and 59 and finished second in the American League. So now we move on to 1932 where the Yankees are looking to kind of break the Philadelphia Athletics dynasty. And Lou Gehrig uh, was helping in that. And actually on June 3rd, uh, Lou Gehrig hit four home runs in a 20 to 13 victory over those Philadelphia Athletics. And he became the third man in baseball history to hit four home runs in a game and the first man to do it in the modern era. And I would presume that he was the first man to hit four over the fence home runs. I was literally about to say that. Yeah. Yeah in a uh in a single game we can only infer yeah i would i would assume but you know uh we don't have all the facts so we're not going to claim to have all of them but garrick in 1932 another spectacular season finished third in average with a 349 i, I mean i guess it's still a step back uh, he's not finishing second in the in these categories he also finished third in ops with a 1072 third in ops plus with a 181 and third in weighted runs created plus behind the MVP winner, Jimmy Fox, and uh, also behind uh, Babe Ruth. And he also finished third in B-War and third in F-War behind Mr. Fox and Mr. Ruth. And Gehrig finished second in the MVP vote behind Jimmy Fox. And the Yankees uh, finally broke the mold, and they went 107-47, and and won the American League pennant to get back into the World Series. So in game one of this series, in the fourth inning, with the Yankees down 2-1 to and a man on first, Gehrig hit a home run to give them a 3-2 to lead. Uh, Gehrig ended up going 2-4 for four with a walk on the day and a 12-6 to win over the Cubs in game one of the 1932 World Series. Then in game two, in the first inning with the Yankees down one to nothing and men on first and second, Garrick hit a game tying RBI single and Garrick ended up going three for four on the day in a five to two victory over the Cubs. And then in game three, Lou Garrick hit a solo home run in the third inning. And then in the fifth in the at bat after Babe Ruth called a shot, according to legend, Garrick followed that up with a solo home run of his own. And Gehrig ended up going two for five on the day in a seven to five victory. And then in game four, in a scoreless game in the first inning with the bases loaded and no one out, uh, Gehrig hit an RBI fly out or what we would know today as a sacrifice fly. And he hit a double in his next plate appearance, grounded out in the one after that. Then he came up in the six with the Yankees down four to three 
and men on second and third, where Garrick would hit a go-ahead two-run single, coming up clutch left and right. And Garrick was hit and walked in his following two plate appearances, and he ended up two for four on the day with three RBI in a 13-6 to win, making, uh, giving Garrick his third World Series championship. And throughout the series, Garrick went nine for 17 with nine runs scored, three home runs, eight RBI, two walks, one hit by pitch, a 529, 600, 1118, 1718 quadruple slash line, and 0.83 win probability added in the World Series. His OPS in this series remains the ninth highest in World Series history. And from, and, uh, you know, unbelievable postseason performance. This kind of caps off an unbelievable era for Lou Gehrig, sort of the, you know, you know, prime of his career, even though he sort of still had to play second fiddle in a way. Uh, so from 1927 to 1932, uh, Gehrig averaged a 353, 457, 668, 1124 quadruple slash line, a 193 OPS plus over a six-year span, 187 weighted runs created plus 206 hits, 143 runs scored, 41 doubles, 14 triples, 38 home runs, 159 RBI, 9.3 B-War and 9.4 F-War uh, per year in this six-year stretch from 27 to 32. Also from 1927 to 1932, he was fourth in triples, third in doubles, third in hits, and third in walks. And in this six-year span, he was second in on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, weighted runs, created plus, home runs, runs scored, RBI, B-War, and F-War, second in all those categories behind uh, the legendary Babe Ruth. And he also led the league in games played from 1927 to 1932, had a little streak going for himself uh, that, I guess, has become legend for sure. So now we move into a transition of power from 1933 to 1937. We'll start in that first year. In early June, New York World Telegram sports writer, wow, Dan Daniel. You really gave me, you really gave me the part of the script that has that name in it, huh? Yeah. That's what I should have been named. Publicized <laughs> Lou Gehrig's consecutive games played streak. At one point, stating, Gehrig that he, stating to Gehrig that he was 57 games away from breaking the record, uh, set by former Red Sox and Yankees shortstop Everett Scott, who played 1,307 games in a row between 1960 and 1985. The streak actually ended one month before Gary started. He started at first base for the first time ever in, in, in the All-Star game that year. And on August 17th, he played his 1,308th consecutive game, breaking the record. And when Garrick was called to home plate in the top of the first inning, the American League president presented Garrick with a small silver, silver statue to commemorate the record. Garrick went two for five with an RBI triple on the day, and he finished third in the league, in the majors and average with a 334, second in OPS with a 10 with a 1030, second in OPS plus with a 177, and second in weighted runs created plus with 168. He finished third in B WAR, fourth in F WAR, fourth in the MVP vote. And this was the year that Garrick had more war than Babe Ruth. First time that ever happened. The Yankees went 91 and 59, finished second in the American League, did not make the playoffs. Yeah, so 
Lou Gehrig finally kind of getting more attention than Babe Ruth. He had a better year than Babe Ruth for the first time in his career. So now, you know, it's kind of a transition of maybe him becoming the face of New York baseball. Uh, and he definitely emphasizes this in the year of 1934, uh, both him, both him improving and Ruth kind of declining. Uh, so in 1934, Lou Gehrig won the Triple Crown, not just in the American League, but also entire Major League Baseball. He led the league in average home runs and RBI. Uh, he had a 363 average with 49 home runs and 166 RBI. He also led the league in total bases. The entire quadruple slash line, uh, slashing 363, 465, 706, 1172. He also led, led the league, of course, in OPS plus with a 207 and weighted runs created plus with a 194. And after five eight-plus win seasons, uh, he led the league in B-War and F-War for the first time in his career. Uh, finally gets that gets that honor. Definitely didn't know about that at the time, but historically speaking, now kind of fun to point out. Five eight-plus win seasons finally leads the league in B-War and F-War. And uh, Gehrig ended up finishing fifth uh, in the MVP vote, I guess, as the Yankees did not win the pennant that year. Uh, it is the only season. Gehrig's 1934 season is the only season in the modern era with 210 plus hits, 100 plus walks, and less than 34 strikeouts. How about that? Also, Gehrig's 1934 is the only season in baseball history with 45 plus home runs and less than 35 strikeouts. And the Yankees uh, ended up going 94 and 60, but finishing second in the pennant race. And after the 1934 season, the Yankees did not bring back Babe Ruth. And at this point, uh, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig were number two and num number one and number two in career home runs. Uh, and some some uh, how about that's with you know them being teammates and all. Uh, Ruth and Gehrig had six seasons when they each had 25 plus home runs and 125 plus RBI. No other pair of teammates in baseball history has more than two such seasons. How about that? Ruth and Gehrig also had six seasons when they had, when they each had 7.5 plus B war. Uh, no other pair of teammates in baseball history has more than two such seasons. And lastly, uh, <laughs> perhaps the most ridiculous Ruth and Gehrig stat, uh, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig have the only six qualifying seasons by teammates in the modern era with an OPS plus of 176 or better. How about that? There's six, yep. seasons, six seasons by teammates with an OPS plus of 176 or better in the modern era. Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig have all six of them. It's yeah. uh, quite unreal. Clean sweep. Yeah. Now we move into 1935. Lou Gehrig is still tearing it up. He finishes sixth in average, second in OPS. By the way, 329 average, 1049 OPS. Second in OPS plus with 175. Second in weighted runs created plus with 171. He led the league in runs scored with 125, walks with 132, and OBP with a 466. He led the league in both B-War and F-War. He finished fifth in the MVP vote, but unfortunately, once again, the Yankees went 89 and 60, finished second 
in the MVP race, in the pennant race. So now we move on to 1936, um, where there's kind of a, a transition period for the for the Yankees. Ni- or 1935 was sort of the transition period. 1936, we have some reinforcements. So after a year without Babe Ruth in the lineup, a rookie named Joe DiMaggio emerged in the number three spot in the lineup ahead of uh, Lou Gehrig. So now Lou Gehrig kind of had a, I guess, you know, you could say protection or, or I guess you could say. And Gehrig finished fifth in average that year uh, with a 354 average. He also led the league in runs scored with 167 walks with 130, home runs with 49, on base percentage with 478, slugging with 696, OPS with 1174, OPS plus with 190, and weighted runs created plus with 178. Also, the reason he was able to drive in uh, so many runs, he hit 380 with runners in scoring position. And uh, as a result, Lou Gehrig led the league in both B War and F War. And he finally wins his second MVP. Uh, they've decided to give him the honor, despite him leading in uh, B War and F War the previous two seasons. And Lou Gehrig's 167 runs scored are the second most in a single season in the modern era and the fourth most in baseball history. And his 167 runs scored are the most in a single season by a player in their age 31 season or older. And it is the only season by a player in their age 33 season or older with 700 plus plate appearances and a hundred and a 190 OPS plus or better. It's important to to include that because, you know, a lot of 33-year-olds aren't playing every single day, and he was able to rack up those plate appearances, get over 700 plate appearances, and uh, and do that. Kind of helps that he also played in a high-scoring offense, but still very, very impressive. And Lou Gehrig's 1934 and 1936 seasons remain the only seasons in baseball history with 200 plus hits, 100 plus walks, 40 plus home runs, and less than 50 strikeouts. How about that? Also, his 1936 season is the only season in baseball history with 200 plus hits, 130 plus walks, 40 plus home runs, and less than 50 strikeouts. How about that? And the Yankees would go on to go 102 and 51 and win the pennant by a 19 and a half game margin. No biter. Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, it was a uh, an absolute race race for the pennant. And in Game One of the World Series against the New York New York Giants, uh, Lou Gehrig went 0 for three with a hit by pitch in a six to one loss against them. Then in Game Two, with the bases loaded and one and no one out, uh, Gehrig hit an RBI fly out to make it one to to make it one to nothing Yankees. Later in the game, uh, Garrick hit a two-run single and ended up two for five with a walk and three RBI on the day uh, in an 18-4 victory. Then in game three, with the game scoreless in the second inning, Garrick hit a solo home run and ended up going one for three on the day in a two-to-one win. Then in game four, he went two for four with a two-run home run uh, in a five-to-two victory. The Yankees were now up in the series three games to one. 
Uh, then in game five, he went one for four with a walk and a five to four loss. And in game six, with the game tied two to two and men on first and third in the third inning, uh, Gehrig hit an RBI flyout. And the Yankees did not trail for the rest of the game after that. And Gehrig ended up going one for five with a walk en route to winning his fourth World Series. Uh, Gehrig throughout the series ended up hitting 292 with a 976 OPS. Uh, very, very impressive still. Even in a down World Series, he's still doing <laughs> better than 95% of hitters would do. Yeah. So now we go to 1937, and Lou Gehrig finishes second in average with a 351. He leads the league in walks with 127, OBP with a 473, OPS with, a, with an 1176, OPS plus with a 176, and weighted runs created plus with a 176 as, as well. He hit 360 with runners in scoring position, and he led the league in B-War and finished second in F-War behind Joe DiMaggio. He finished fourth in the MVP vote and produced the only season by a player in their age 34 season or older with 200-plus hits and 125-plus walks. This was also the only season by a player in their age 34 season or older with 700-plus plate appearances and an OPS of 175 or higher. And once again, the Yankees went 102-52. and 52. They won the same amount of games as last year, and they won the pennant by a 13-game margin. So now we're in the World Series once again. In Game 1, Gary goes 0-2 with two walks and an 8-1 win over the Giants. In Game 2, he goes 1-2 with two walks with in another 8-1 win. So the theme is uh, he's, he's getting on base by way, of, uh, by way of free passes, and they're winning the games 8-1. So now in Game 3... He goes one for five with an RBI flyout, deemed later deemed a sack fly, but considered an official at bat in a 5-1 win. So now the Yankees are one win away from Gehrig's fifth world championship, but it wouldn't come in game four. Gehrig went one for four with a home run in a 7-3 loss. But in game five, he hit a double and a triple for his two hits and four at-bats with an RBI in a 4-2 win that gave him his fifth World Series championship. And Gehrig throughout this series slashed 294, 455, 647, 1102. Once again, really impressive. But now we're going into the stage of his career where he's just going too soon, unfortunately. In 1938, he played his 2000th consecutive game on May 31st. He played through pain, but was starting to lose power and skill. And he was moved from the number four spot in the lineup to the number five spot permanently in June. And he hit 295 with a 932 OPS, 132 OPS plus, and 133 weighted runs created plus. Still really good by Major League standards, though. His average OEP and OPS were his worst since 1925, and his 523 slugging was the worst of his career. And with runners in scoring position, he hit 242. In this series, in this season, the Yankees went 99 and 53 and won the pennant once again by a nine and a half game. Record. And Gary got exactly one hit in each of the World Series games and got a walk in two of those games. All the hits were singles. He didn't drive in a run. And he hit 286 with a 661 OPS as the Yankees swept the Cubs and Gary became a six-time World Series champion. This would be the last uh, time he plays in a World Series and his career World Series slash playoff slash line, 361, 483, 731, 1214 quadruple slash line with 10 home runs, 
35 RBI and 26 walks in 150 plate appearances in 34 games. He remains the all-time leader in win probability added in the World Series. Yeah, Lou Gehrig, absolute playoff legend. Uh, I think people forget about that, but he really he really was. And now we get into um into kind of the unfortunate part of his life and his career. Not kind of, definitely the uh, unfortunate part. So in 1939 spring training, uh, Lou Gehrig was hitting 100 with no extra base hits in his first 10 games of spring training. Uh, this was a bad sign. And during one batting practice se- session, uh, Gehrig swung and missed at 19 straight pitches. And one afternoon in, in the clubhouse, he collapsed uh, trying to put on his pants uh, but heading into opening day in 1939, it was very clear something was wrong with him. But manager Joe McCarthy wasn't going to bench him just yet. You know, the, the man had had 2,122 consecutive games played. You kind of have to trust the guy in saying that, you know, he wants to play. It's kind of his say uh, up to this point after, you know, 2,000 plus consecutive games played. And unfortunately, in Gehrig's first eight games of the season, he went four for 28 and famously for the ninth game of that season, uh, Lou Gehrig told Joe McCarthy that it was time for him to sit, sit out. It was time to, for him to sit out for a while and he would continue to travel with the Yankees, but he did not play another game for them. And as his condition worsened, his wife contacted the Mayo clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a team of doctors reviewed Lou Gehrig's case and did intensive testing for six days and they determined that Gehrig had amyotrophic lateral sclerosis also known as ALS and now also known as Lou Gehrig's disease and this disease caused the hardening of the spinal cord which caused slow painful deterioration of muscles and nerve endings which would eventually lead to his lungs and heart not being able to work which would lead to his his premature death and he was given about three years to live. And on June 21st, the Yankees announced Lou Gehrig's retirement. On June 4th, the Yankees held Lou Gehrig Appreciation Day. Lou, on, yeah, on July 4th, uh, the Yankees held Lou Gehrig Appreciation Day with a ceremony taking place in between games of a doubleheader against the Washington Senators. And... Uh, with this ceremony, with this ceremony, uh, this was where Gehrig became the first Major League Baseball player to have his number retired, and the ceremony included speeches from, you know, the some staples of New York. Uh, the mayor of New York had a speech there, and the manager of the Yankees, Joe McCarthy, who Gehrig really liked. Uh, had a speech there. And of course, uh, Babe Ruth showed up and Babe Ruth himself made a speech for Lou Gehrig. And finally, the microphone was passed to the Iron Horse. For the past two weeks, weeks, you've been reading about a bad brag. brag. Today, Today, I consider myself myself the luckiest man man on the face of the the earth. When you look around, wouldn't you consider it privilege 
to associate yourself with such a fine-looking man as is standing in uniform in this ballpark today. That I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Thank you. One of the most famous moments in uh, baseball history, in general human history, uh, you know, you, you don't really see a guy that, you know, know, he knows he's heading out for in the next three years, a, a guy who just, you know, years prior was in the prime of his career winning MVPs uh, in the American League. And now he kind of has to do a, a swan song for not only his career, but um, his life, unfortunately. And Lou Gehrig, in October of 1939, he accepted a paid role as New York City Parole Commissioner, and his wife would help guide his hand signing the necessary documents. So uh, he was kept on a payroll in New York because of his unfortunate situation. Kind of felt, I guess the uh, I guess the city of New York felt they kind of owed him one because you know no one had really seen anything like this at this point. And in December of 1939 the BBWAA held a special election to induct Lou Gehrig into the Hall of Fame, and Gehrig would eventually die on June 2nd, 1941, at the age of 37, 16 years to the exact date he got the start over Wally Pipp. But, you know, it's, this episode really isn't about um, his early, uh, early passing. It's kind of about, it's a celebration of how great of a baseball player he really was. And now we get into the all-time ranks of where, you know, where he ranks among the baseball greats because it's very, very impressive. Yeah, Chris, there's no doubt that it was a tragedy what had happened to him. Nothing, really nothing in his control, nothing he could have done about it. It's just, it's just really unfortunate. But nonetheless, he was an incredible ball player. He ranked 17th all-time in average with a 340, fifth in on-base percentage with a 447, third in slugging percentage with a 632 and third in OPS, like you mentioned earlier in the show with a 1080 fourth in OPS plus with a 179 and third in weighted runs created plus with a 173. He ranked 28th in home runs with 493, 19th in total bases, 17th in walks with 1,508, 12th in runs scored and seventh in RBI with 1,995. Unfortunately, he had to stop playing just seven home runs shy of 500 and five RBIs shy of 2,000, which is really sad. But nonetheless, the fact that he even got there in that little time is very impressive. He ranks 13th in position player baseball reference war and 12th in position player finger war. And among the he's second in war, second in F4, first in OPP slugging OPS and OPS plus, and weighted runs created plus. So now we move on to the special stats of Lou Gehrig that really show uh, the unique career of uh, the Iron Horse. And this is Lou Gehrig edition of the, the official edition where it's only dedicated to the how about that. His five seasons with 400 plus total bases are the most such seasons in baseball history. His 12 seasons with 125-plus runs scored are the most such seasons in baseball history. His seven seasons 
with 150 plus RBI are the most such seasons in baseball history. His 11 seasons with 650 plus plate appearances and a, and a 1000 plus OPS are the most such seasons in baseball history. So that combines, you know, his ability to play every day and do it at a high level. Uh, his 11 seasons with with a with 650 play appearances and a 160 OPS plus or better are the most such seasons in baseball history. He also has seven seasons with 200 plus hits and 100 plus walks. No one else in baseball history has more than four such seasons. He is also the only player in baseball history with 27 plus 2700 plus hits and 1500 plus walks in less than 10,000 career plate appearances. And he also has the most RBI for someone with less than 10,000 career plate appearances. So he's, you know, if if uh, you know, unfortunate if the unfortunate things that happened to him didn't happen to him, he's a guy that probably could have held the uh, the all-time RBI record at, at his pace if he didn't have to uh, hang yeah. up at, at the age of 35. Because, yeah, most most uh, seasons with 150-plus RBI, uh, the guy drove in runs like crazy. It was an offensive era. He was on a great Yankees team where there were a lot of guys on base for him, and obviously he killed it with runners in scoring position. So – um, you know, unfortunate there was that it was a bit of an incomplete career, but still what he was able to do ultimately was, was unbelievable. And now we move on to the legacy of Lou Gehrig. Uh, he was one half of the greatest duo in baseball history. We, we went over the, how about that's with him and Babe Ruth, you know, no, they had, you know, the two best, uh, at least in the, uh, late twenties, early thirties, they had the two best hitters in baseball on one team, two of the best hitters in baseball all time. And uh, yeah, number one, number one and number three all time in OPS on one team at the same time, pretty unbelievable that that happened. Uh, and that's why they're the greatest duo in baseball history. And Lou Gehrig was a big part of that. He wasn't, he wasn't just the sidekick. He was, he was unbelievable too. Uh, and, you know, without, Without Ruth there, he would have been the best player in baseball of that time for sure. And Gehrig was a symbol of humility and, you know, work ethic, getting up, playing every day um, and shutting up about it, kind of in contrast to Babe Ruth. Um, you know, you know, you'd say, I guess, more likable than Babe Ruth, uh, just kind of, you know, pulling up the bootstraps, getting to work, going out there, hitting, hitting a home run driving in runs. Uh, that's what he did every single day. Did it consecutively 2,130 times and uh, never really, never really thought anything of it. And also Lou Gehrig, I think what gets kind of lost in history, one of the greatest postseason performers of all time. And there's an argument, there's a good argument. He might've been the greatest postseason performer of all time. Uh, he has the highest career win probability added uh, in world series history and, you know, he doesn't even have, like, the most games played in World Series history or or any of that. But what he was able to do in the 12, seven 14 World OPS. Series. That's all you need to say. Yeah. Yeah, 12-14 OPS in the World Series uh, is quite, quite unreal. And what he was able to do in those seven World Series was 
absolutely crazy, you know, especially when you consider you're facing top competition in there, the best team in the National League. And, uh, you know, also part of his legacy, he's likely the greatest first baseman of all time. Uh, he does rank second in B-War and F-War um, to Stan Musial. But when you compare, you know, I guess peak war and, and Jaws and uh, the rate statistics that, you know, Lou Gehrig wasn't able to get those count statistics because of uh, the ALS that, that happened to him. But, you know, I would say pretty prominently that he is, you know, across eras, the greatest first baseman of all time. And, uh, you know, ultimately his human legacy, you know, if you have never heard of baseball or if you've never watched baseball, don't really care about baseball history, you still probably know, you've, you've heard Lou Gehrig's name before. Uh, you know, they named, the, the nickname for ALS is Lou Gehrig's disease. And he, his, um, his battle with it made ALS public knowledge, which is, um, is, which is a very big deal in society. Uh, now, you know, you, you have people raising money for it, raising money for research, trying to find cures for it. Um, and it all kind of started with Lou Gehrig. Uh, you know, it, it's, he's, um, he's, he's made that impact, uh, in his human life. And, you know, uh, the fact that it happened to such a well-liked individual, um, you know, it, it, it sucks that it did happen, but it did make the impact of ALS kind of more well-known. So in human history, he has that. So that's, that's the legacy of Lou Gehrig. Yeah. If you, if you go back to any video on YouTube from, you know, years ago when the ALS ice bucket challenge was a thing and you saw a story about like a news, a news team covering it. At some point, they probably referred to it on that broadcast as Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, I mean, this is, this is not just, you know, baseball fans recognize it as Lou Gehrig. The world recognizes ALS as Lou Gehrig's disease because of the awareness he was able to spread in his fight. Um, and that, you know, that paved the way for guys like Pete Frades in that instance to, uh, to spread their awareness and donate the money that they were able to donate through that, through that, uh, trend. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's wild that, you know, something, you know, a guy so prominent can, um, can make it that way. And it makes sense. It was baseball in the, uh, in the late thirties, he was on the best team and, uh, was, you know, if, if he could have kept playing, he would have been the second guy to reach 500 home runs would have been the second guy to reach 2000 RBI. Um, but it, it did not, was not able to happen for him, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was still like, he didn't even really have a downfall as a player before getting ALS. Like it was, he was still had, he still had like significantly above average seasons up until kind of the end. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, 19, 1938, he was still 32% above average Mm -hmm. according to, um, baseball reference, 33% above average according to fan graphs and, yeah, that's, it's something that, uh, yeah, with Lou Gehrig, I, one of the reasons I picked him was because, um, you know, during quarantine, I was like looking at stats and then I was like, Lou Gehrig, 1080 OPS. And, you know, you think about Lou Gehrig, you don't really think about him being one of the greatest hitters of all time, but he really, he, he really was, he, he really was. And, you know, he's top, 
He's top 15 all time in B war and F war. He, he was an unbelievable player and, you know, had some unbelievable years and uh, you know, it doesn't get recognized a, because uh, he has a, he has a bigger legacy than that in like human history. And, you know, he was behind Babe Ruth uh, on his own team. So yep. that that's uh that's Lou Gehrig. So yeah, we uh, that's, that's the end of the episode. Very good episode. Very glad to talk about him uh, and impact on the game impact on general human history. So we hope you enjoyed uh, part one of episode 77, uh, our 20th, our 20th history episode thus far. If you uh, are listening on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, um, want to watch, uh, we want to watch the videos with us. Uh, today was just one video. Go to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's called STBNL with Chris Gianta and Daniel Curran. Uh, also, if you want to catch up with the rest of the baseball history series, the entire uh, baseball history series is under a YouTube playlist. So you can get that all chronologically. And also uh, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta, follow Daniel on Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow our show Instagram at STBNL podcast. Uh, get notices when we're, when we're uploading these things. And uh, we would also like to thank Society of American Baseball Research uh, for all the information, off, all the off the field information with Lou Gehrig. Baseball reference, especially Stathead for all those how about that's and of course fan graphs um, for all the, all, the, uh, all the stats they were able to give us. And we hope you enjoyed our Lou Gehrig uh, part of the episode and we hope to see you tomorrow where, where we will be talking about the 2018 Milwaukee Brewers. See you then.